What's up, everybody? My name is Adam, and I'm the host of the You Know Adam Same podcast, the show that is dedicated on bringing on passionate people, learning about their stories, and delivering value to entrepreneurs. So if that's what you're interested in, go ahead and follow, like, and subscribe. You know what I'm saying? How's it going, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the You Know Adam Same podcast, where you get to know just a little bit more about people, passions, in all things business. This week has been the first week that we're in a little bit of a different setup, and I'm so excited to bring on our first guest in the new podcast studio. I have Jake from Scoop Me, who has developed an app to compete against some of the biggest corporations in the United States. What's going on, guys? It's good to be here. So, Jake, I have to introduce you to the audience, uh, make sure that you know we get your story right, uh, but I think everything started really with something called the infamous Berg Uber. Correct. Yeah. Um, so to give the audience just a little bit about myself, I'm a senior here at Georgia Southern University. Um, I transferred here my freshman year. Okay. Um, I actually went to play football at a Division II uh, college in South Carolina. And what, what position did you play? I was actually offensive lineman. You might not be able to tell it uh, yeah? you know, based on how I look now, but I was you know 80 pounds heavier then. And so, yeah, we've we've came a long way since then. But, you know, I was in love with football. So that drove me to South Carolina where okay. I played at, at Limestone. Um, the D2 was it was not for me. The football mm-hmm. was great. Um, I love my teammates and hanging out with them. But there was only 600, you know, students at the school. Yeah. And coming from a high school uh, north of Atlanta with 3000, that was, you know, a, a big change for me. Mm-hmm. And I I got there and I really was missing that college experience. Um, and I came down to Georgia Southern for a football game. I played App State, and it was, you know, that's the rival game. That's the, the biggest day of the year yep. for, for football and partying. And so my friends brought me here. They were in a fraternity, and they showed me, you know, what that life was like. Uh, I went to a bonfire. I rode a dirt road for the first time. <laughs> I never never really knew those existed. Um, that was super cool, and I just never looked back. I... Uh, couple weeks later put in my transfer request uh, I felt like I was good enough to make the football team here at Georgia Southern okay you know I, I compared myself to a lot of the guys here and I thought that I stacked up you know equally uh-huh. um, I made the transition over you know took the leap and, and transferred and that is right when the pandemic actually started going on wow and so it was a, it was a little you know wrench in my plans of walking onto the football team here because the, the COVID pandemic, you know, affected everything, you know, everything was getting shut down. And so uh, I think what, what happened at first was the original tryout got canceled. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up having to, you know, suspend that tryout process another six months and try out again in the fall where I did go on to make the team. Okay. And this COVID stuff was still happening, still going on. And basically another, you know, few months passed by, I basically spent the spring practice with the team uh, they decided to let me go and cut me for for no other reason um, they ever... that they ran out of roster spots is what they told me. Apparently, you know they got some extra roster spots due to COVID, you know, because some guys were sick and and that sort of thing. But uh, the main thing is, you know, they just had to cut these 15 roster spots is what they told me. And so, you know, that kind of ended my football career uh, prematurely. It was a little, you know, tough time in my life where I had to sort of find myself and find, you know, another passion to 
sort of fulfill my competitive, you know, needs. What that feel like when when that happened? You remember getting the news? <laughs> yeah, it was tough. I I literally found out over. Uh, I got a text from the offensive line coach, and I was working out at the rack, like I was doing extra workouts. Um, I get a text from him. I'm like out of breath, like "What's up, coach?" And he tells me to call him, and uh, he was telling me that you know they had these extra roster spots due to COVID, and that you know now unfortunately that COVID is over. Um, they have to, uh, cut me for that reason. And basically, you know, I took it pretty tough. I, I felt like I was Were you better. performing at that time in your mind? Yeah. I mean, I was competitive with, you know, second and third string, the, the first string center, which is the offensive line position I played. He was really good, but he was a senior. Yep. Um, and I still had two or three years left of eligibility. So I felt like, you know, give me a year or two and I could, you know, really work my way up and, uh, play for these guys. Um, throughout the pandemic, I did lose like 30 pounds, just switching schools and not being on a football diet. Um, when I was at Limestone, they were feeding me three, four meals a day, just trying to get me as big as they can because you know, at the offensive line position that, that is what matters. So, um, lost some weight just cause I, you know, value my health. I was in the gym two times a day trying to get better and better at football. Um, so I would make the team. And then, you know, ultimately it just didn't end up working out. So skip past that, um, you know, as, as that pandemic period was happening, um, I created basically a system for uh, sharing rides um, among our college campus, Georgia Southern. I lived out in the neighborhood uh, with my sister my freshman year. A lot of students get, have to, are forced to live in the dorms. And I got moved out to uh, Burke because my sister lived there and, one thing I noticed is they have this, you know, large community group chat on GroupMe. And it was a very tight-knit, uh, bonded community where, you know, if it's one in the morning, you're making brownies and you need two eggs, you can ask in there and somebody, you know, will, will help you out and give it to you. Um, and so and I thought, this, is, this is called Burke. So Burke for, for people that, you know, might have never heard of Burke, it is Burke Halter Plantation. Yes, sir. And uh, how many homes do you, would you say is in this area? Uh, Burke is like the hot spot um, for college living. And Why? I would It's just where everything goes on. That's where a lot of the older students live. And there's multiple other neighborhoods that surround it. But uh, in Burke, I would say there's probably 250 maybe houses, maybe a hundred. It's kind of hard to gauge that, but there's a, there's an old Burke that's been there for, if I had to guess 20, 30 years and that's where I'm living. Um, and then there's just been a new section built on and they just keep expanding it. Um, I'm sure, you know, Paul Newman, you know, he's, he's always working and, and, uh, you know, expanding his, his stuff. So it's been great living out there and the, the community is just, you know, what, what stands out the most to me. It's, it's, it's really cool. And I had never really experienced anything like that. Let's talk uh-huh. a little bit about kind of like describing it, right? So we're looking at maybe 250 homes. Um, how many square foot would you say a home sits on? Uh, this is just, you know, standard college living. It's four, four rooms. Okay. And, you know, me personally, we have two, two girls that are always staying over there. So we've got like six people packed into this tiny house. And, um, and then it sits on, uh, some, some land, right? right? Yeah. Burke is compared to other college living. It's actually quite open. And yep. that's, that's what makes it unique is, you know, you'll have kids riding by on four wheelers and sometimes you'll even hear gunshots. It sounds like world war two out there, um, where these kids, you know, doing stupid stuff, drinking and shooting guns, but four wheelers, I think are very prominent in there. Right. Yeah. My freshman year, there was a four wheeler track that actually went behind my house. So at 4am, I would always hear Here. them coming by and, 
that was always waking me up, but something you get used to living out there in Burke. It's an interesting thing, uh, kind of like for the Statesboro area, because typically if you have a limit of land, uh, you are forced to really kind of like compact everybody into like a, a space, right? right? And so that's what really like the apartments are. Whereas Burke, it, it allows for kind of like, you know, the outdoors, you have kind of like the woods surrounding you. Uh, you mentioned that there are four-wheeler tra- like tra- trails. Trails, yeah. Like everything in Burke is really connected um, and everybody knows everybody. And that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a cool thing. Like I can, you know, pick out 10 different friends at 10 different houses in Burke and the cool thing is, is there's always, you know, a party going on every mm-hmm. single day. You know, there's always a late night going on. There's always a darty going on. There's always something to do in Burke. You really, it's like its own, you know, utopia community of drunk college students. Um, and that's sort of what, you know, gave me that idea for the whole Burke Uber thing is all these kids need rides. And in Statesboro, there's really just not a supply of those affordable, safe rides. Yeah. And, you know, what, what sort of led me to the whole idea of Burke Uber was, somebody was complaining in that community group chat about yeah. this exorbitant price for a Uber ride. Sure. They were saying that um, from the plaza, um, which is only about 10 minutes from Burke, where the where the bar was at the time, was a $25 ride um, for a small Uber. Do you, which, think, do you think that was like surge pricing? Uh, what affected it was the, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uber actually raised their prices by about 40% whenever mm-hmm. the pandemic happened. Mm-hmm. And one thing that a lot of people haven't sort of recognized and fought back against is that they raised them in 2019, 2020, and they're still there. Um, and I think they just tried to sort of get away with that and hope that, you know, users and consumers would chalk that up to inflation or whatever it might be. Um, but they haven't came back down on those prices. Gotcha. And that was sort of when um, I, you know, just moved to this new new town, didn't have a job, didn't know anybody. And the one thing I did have was a car. So yeah. I began leveraging my vehicle and I had seven seats at the time and I did a little bit of math. And if I gave three rides to that bar um, in an hour, I could make better than minimum wage. And at the the end of the day, I was just driving around listening to music. So it was a really, really cool idea. But at first it was sort of not accepted. Um, And I mean that by in the first week, I probably had three people text me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they realized that it's just some college kid that just wants to make some extra money. And he's got a bunch of seats in his car. Like he doesn't care if you wear your seatbelt. Well, if you're in the front seat, I do. But he doesn't care, you know, how many people you can cram into the back. He's always playing, you know, the most relevant music. And it's just a cool user experience compared to Uber or Lyft where, you know, you you hit a button and then you you never know who's going to show up. Sure. You never know you know, if they might barely speak your language or if you have anything in common with them, you know? So it it was a cool aspect for these students. And so those few that texted me that first week, you know, told their friends and they told their friends. Um, And eventually, you know, it it sort of led to so many people texting me that I had to create a separate group chat um, for, you know, this whole process of somebody texting you for a ride so um we, we have this utopia kind of like quote unquote like burke burke halter um area and you mentioned that there's this group chat right and then you're able to kind of you know communicate with one another through that group chat because it's like this community and then you mentioned that uh at some point people started texting you is that still through the group chat they they were messaging you or like were you posting like saying that you were giving rides at that point in time and how did how did that transition so yeah when it first started it was uh it was a little bit competitive i mean once the sort of concept 
brought, like came came to be, it was like, oh, you know, I have a car too, and I can do this. Sure. I live in Burke, and you sure. know, this guy's making five to ten dollars a ride, and you know, making pretty good money, comparable mm-hmm. to you know somebody working at a restaurant around here or a bartender. So, yeah, it became very quickly a competitive um, you landscape, know, right? And so. Some other drivers and myself um, would basically just post a short message into the the community group chat saying that we were giving rides, you know, at a certain time frame for a certain amount of money, and we can cert, you know, see a certain amount of people. And from that, we would obviously get leads um, to go and give those rides. So, and and the the main thing there, comparing it to Uber, is Uber obviously is taking a cut of each ride, and mm-hmm. they're taking on average about fifty percent of whatever the person pays for the ride. So, say you pay. $10, your driver's only going to get five of that. Yeah. Um, on this service where, uh, you know, students are just texting each other individually and paying each other through personal means like cash, Venmo, cash app, whatever it may be. There is no, there is no rake back to the, um, to the business, um, or the organization at that point. So, you know, that, that sort of led to, you know, a large growth very quickly of this sort of concept of hope. Oh, I can text somebody and, you know, save 50% compared to Uber. It it, 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 it sort of bought on real quickly. In, in, in such a kind of, you know, competitive landscape, how were you able to take control of kind of like and in, in, in direct the, the narrative, if you will? Um, I would say a, a big part of it was just the fact that I was the first to do it. Yeah. Um, I sort of pioneered, you know, this new idea of that, that, that it, something like this was even possible. Um, and to me, it doesn't even see it didn't even seem that crazy or abstract at the time. It was just, you know, I have this and I can provide this service for these people. You know what I'm saying? I saw the saw the problem and, and imp- implemented a solution, you know, at the very start. And what I also did throughout the you know, months and years of me driving was build a, you know, fantastic reputation with my customers. Uh, and this summer, I'm still, you know, still giving rides. I've been doing it for three years now. Um, I've built up a long list of recurring customers and, you know, users that trust me and know that if they text me and I say that I'm coming, I'm actually going to come. And that's, it just brings up an issue, you know, reliability in this texting manner is like, that's something that can come up is if you text somebody, then you never know, they may or may not show up, but building a reputation with somebody and delivering on that every single time, you know, they, the consistency part is huge in entrepreneurship. You know, if they know what they're going to get. And you can consistently deliver, then um, you know they're more likely to text you than the next guy. So you know you, you've kind of started working on developing your fan base, uh, developing kind of clientele. Um, you know, you, and you said that there's like this immense amount of growth that happened. Um, is this still happening all in this community group chat, if you will? No. So. After about six months, um, this concept blew up so much uh, that the owner of that community group chat, he was an older student that was still living in the neighborhood, um, decided that this, you know, enough is enough. I'm tired of people asking for rides, you know, when I need whatever I need to talk about in a group chat. It's like next door, you know, if if people were to get on next door and use it um, for rides, it, it doesn't really make sense. And that was sort of his point of view. And I agreed with that. And so what we ended up doing was creating a separate group chat um, and we, we called it the Bark Uber because that was my name. That was what I went by. Um, and it was sort of given to me by the students and by, you know, the people I was picking up. They're like, oh, you're the, the, the guy that's always Ubering people out to Burke. You know, we should call you the Burke Uber. And so it, it sort of just stuck. 
And uh, what ended up happening was I uh, stuck a big, fat Burke Uber sticker on my windshield. If you're in Statesboro, you, you might have seen it before. Um, and I, like that was probably one of the, the best marketing moves I've ever made. Yeah. Um, well, it sort of gave me the idea. I don't know if you've ever seen Talladega Nights, mm. where Ricky Bobby, he gets a sponsorship deal with Fig Newton. <laughs> and he's driving in a NASCAR race with going 200 miles an hour and he's got a fig newton sticker that he cannot see through covering his entire windshield um but it, it's just funny because he, he he references you know i can't see anything right now but i i damn sure love fig newtons and so that was sort of my thing is like it's free marketing i'm driving I, i've driven eighty thousand miles over statesboro over the past three years wow and how many rides does that equate to how many rides uh, do you think you've given over if i had to estimate it over five thousand over 5,000 rides. That is wild. I think I've probably picked up uh, a quarter to half of uh, Georgia Southern student body, which is kind of crazy to think about. Good, but, con- good connections within that as right. well, right? It led to sort of some crazy things. Like you talked about a fan base. I don't really consider like the students my fans, but a lot of the time what will happen is students will be waiting outside of a bar to you know go in or you know there's some some line to get in and I'll pull up to drop people off and there'll be a group of people that know me and they'll all just start screaming Burke Uber and it's it's sort of a crazy thing and people get in my car and they're like freaking out for whatever reason I can't figure out but there's like you know it's so crazy you started this thing you know I'm just so I'm so glad I'm it's, it's done this and this and this for me and I'm so thankful and that's great but you know at the end of the day it was just me taking action on that first initial step of like seeing a problem implementing a solution and like trying you know i might have failed but i was at least trying where where do you think that comes from right so you you mentioned something in here that caught my attention it's being able to execute and when you say that you're going to be somewhere to actually show up and i'm sure that this was something that maybe some of your competition or people that were trying to get in this space weren't able to execute on what kind of in your opinion led you led to your ability to do so to basically be able to execute? Um, I mean, a, a quote that I think about is, uh, you know, you can define a man by his habits. And so early on, um, in, you know, late in my high school career, I was developing, you know, good discipline, always in the gym um, for football. And I would say football led to a lot of that discipline as well. Um, we were taught that, you know, if you're if you're on time, you're late. And, you know, you better show up, you know, if, if you got a doctor's appointment, you better like cancel it and make it another day. You know, um, it, it's just the level of commitment you have to have to to be a winner. Um, I think in football and then in life and in business is like next level. And it, it stems from, you know, discipline at the end of the day. You can be motivated, but you have to be able to even when you're not motivated, still, you know, get up, go to the gym and, you know, get to work right after that. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? That's right. So during this past three years, um, you know, what have you learned? Uh, What challenges have you faced? Um, Kind of, you know, what what are the things that you have learned about this specific industry? Yeah. So a little bit about me. I was not an entrepreneur about two years ago. Um, I I would call myself a semi-entrepreneur where I was operating this group chat where it's not making any money, but you know, I'm making money off of it and other people are making money off of it. It was sort of like a a business with employees, but no revenue. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I was learning a lot, you know, about people uh, mainly, but I was learning a lot about business during that point. Um, But I, I, you know, when I said I got cut from the football team, 
Um, and it was a lot to do with this coronavirus and these, you know, extra roster spots. And I, I really, at the end of the day, felt like it was it was a political thing. And I didn't like how political I felt that, you know, college football and, and colleges in general are. Um, and so I decided to actually change my major to um, I, now I have a emphasis in business and an emphasis in management as well as a um, minor in education because mm-hmm. I was going down the education path because I wanted to be a football coach. Got you. Um, and so uh, halfway through my junior year, I was like coming up on graduation it was basically the last chance, last, you know, going into my last semester where I could change my major and still graduate on time. And um, I decided, you know, I'd, I had the conversation with my parents, talked to my family and just decided that I was going to take this leap. And, you know, I felt like there was more money to be made in, in business than in education. Um, at the time, I was student teaching actually a uh as a group of kindergartner, it was elementary school, but K through fifth grade, um, I was teaching them a soccer lesson, mm. and I loved I loved sports growing up, and I loved football and baseball, but it was just like in that moment, I f- I didn't really feel like I was fulfilling my purpose um, when I had this large opportunity um, with this large group chat, you know, and big ideas on the on the other side of things, and so I decided um, to change my major and. Um, pursue the business and management path. And that was about uh, 18 months ago. Um, and so since then, uh, and the, basically the, the biggest lesson I've learned about entrepreneurship up until this point is it, you, have to, you have to learn. <laughs> you have to learn how to do it. And it's a learnable skill. And whenever I was considering that um, switch over to you know entrepreneurship, I felt like I was in a place where it was either this succeeds or I'm, I'm going to be homeless. Like it's either it works or yep. I'm, I'm going to be homeless. And that was my mentality at the time. But once I switched over and actually started to learn and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do this now. I'm going to have to learn how to do it. Started, uh, you know, reading, listening to different business podcasts. And the, the, the main thing, the main overlying message that I learned was you just have to keep on learning. And, and that's the thing is, you can stack these skills and and deploy them. And Alex Hormozzi talks about this uh, skill stacking. Like you can gather, you know, Jay Z will go and learn how to, you know, one produce music, and then he can learn how to, um, you know, produce a record deal or produce a label. And by stacking all these skills, it, it, it ultimately turns into you know a large CEO, large corporation where he he has the ability to you know look at artists and determine if they're you know any good at music. Um, and it kind of just clicked with me, like you have to learn and up until, and it's kind of funny, I was in education, but I, I, it took me getting out of that program to really realize this. And I think that might be partially due to like the curriculum nowadays, but you, you have to learn and and to, in order to be successful in anything. And I've been learning so much stuff over the past 18 months and every day I just feel better and better. Yep. about myself at first there was some imposter syndrome um i felt like you know is this is this really my my calling do i you know am i really cut out to do this um but every day i just keep getting up and trying and sometimes i fail but you know the more and more i do it the the easier it gets so. you know what i think is astounding and and you know absolutely inspiring about your your journey is really how you have come across um, and push through, 
I think, you know, there's a ton of people out there that wish, that hope, that dream, right? And dreams are phenomenal. They're, they're the thing that, you know, drives all of us. But the flip side of that is getting in kind of like the dirt and really like working to achieve those dreams. And I think that that oftentimes is the gap of, you. yeah, you have a great idea, but the execution is not there. And we'll get into kind of like how you've executed on this, you know, next part. Um, but we, before we get there, what advice would you have to, you know, the people that have a phenomenal idea, or maybe they have something that has picked up some momentum, right? What would you tell them to try to push them to the point of getting, putting in the work to get the idea off the ground? Yeah, I would say you're going to have, you know, great ideas come up uh, along the way in any any journey. Um, I would say a big thing is enjoying the process. Um, the man who loves walking will walk a thousand miles and, you know, never get tired of it, where if you're just focused on the destination and just focused on, you know, oh, we need to achieve this, this, and this, I feel like you'll never really feel achieved in, in those instances because you're always just seeking the next thing. Mm -hmm. um, if you can instead flip your mindset to like enjoy the journey um, and enjoy each step of the way, enjoy the, the failures, the successes, um, enjoy all of it. I mean, it's just part of life. Really cool. So, you know, you, you've, you've grown um, quite a bit uh, in terms of this uh, group chat that you're managing. Uh, you're starting to uh, bring people in. Um, how big is that group chat and uh, its current state right now? Right. So over the three-year span, we ended up uh, getting about, well, we have 5,000 people in my group chat, my yep. original Barkuber group chat. And um, is, it, is that the limit? Is yeah, 5,000 is actually the, the maximum that GroupMe can support. Uh -huh. um, and so that's why we've sort of been looking at, you know, other options in, in that area. But uh my chat ended up reaching 5,000, and before it did, I think it was at about 4,000 is when the Borough Girls Only group chat was created, um, created by my co-founder, Madeline. Mm -hmm. And to sum up her uh, you know, reason for creating that was she saw an issue or another problem um, within my solution, and mm -hmm. that was sometimes um, these girls are asking for rides and these uh, guys are texting him. And if it's a single girl, a lot of the time they don't feel comfortable getting picked up by a guy. Yeah. Um, and so what she did was she went and created another subgroup chat um, of the the borough or of the Burke Uber, and it was basically girls only. And yeah. She she mediated that, moderated that, and um, only allowed females to to join and, did, and did drive. She, did she talk to you about that before she did it, or did she just kind of like just she went just ahead did and did it. it? Yeah. Yeah. She just did it. And so, did you know her before she did that? Oh, that was quite a while ago. I I think I might have given her a ride or two, uh -huh. um, but we definitely weren't like on first name basis or anything like that. Got you. Um, she, I, I I sort of uh, heard about the whole group chat, and I was like, well, that's a great thing, you know. Obviously, you know, girls. I was I was kind of upset I wasn't in it, but you know, at the end <laughs> of the day, I I wasn't allowed to. So, um, I was like, you know, that's that's awesome. You know, a lot of the times I I I, I think that girls don't want to ride with a, a guy yeah. and that's perfectly fine. And, and her being our co-founder, it's, it's sort of brought that whole ideal and, you know, uh, the, the whole thought and brought the female perspective into the, the whole thought process, I would say. That's really cool. Um, so moving forward, uh, you know, you guys have these 
two group chats. Well, actually, we had three. Okay. What's yeah, because when my fi- when my filled up uh, to five thousand, I went ahead and created a another one, and it's sitting at about uh, twenty five hundred members now. So, all three combined, because um, I always talk about them combined. We're a team, me and Madeline. Um, we're at we're sitting at over twelve thousand users, and that's mostly students. There's you know just a handful, maybe ten of those. Uh, that I, if I had to guess, that are not students. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got twenty five thousand students at, at Georgia Southern, and I feel like we've captured, if not half, almost half of half of them. That's amazing. Um, Rideshare is a huge problem that I mean, you guys are solving right now. Um, love the fact that you're able to, you know, be able to provide a service at a better cost uh, to the end consumer. Um, there's definitely advantages. I, I love the fact that Madeline was able to create something really that was meant for girls um, and kind of like trying to protect that experience. With these 12,000 u- users that you were able to uh, accumulate over time, what was the next step that you took? Um, so let's see, about a year and a half ago, I gave a ride to a family. Uh, it was a family weekend or parents weekend, sorry. Um, where the the sorority parents come down and they uh, see their students and they go to the football game, do whatever, and I'm always the one driving them around because sure. the parents pay really good. Um, I like it. I like it. And so I pick up this this uh, this dad and he's riding in the front seat. Me and him are having a conversation uh, about the whole group chat and you know how it works. He thought it was the coolest thing ever, um, and he mentioned that he was a a business. Uh, business owner out of Atlanta. He mm-hmm. actually owns a classic car uh, business. And he sort of, you know, stressed the fact that I have something here uh, in this this large group of users, this concept, um, and what we're doing here in Statesboro. I mean, we've essentially ran Uber and Lyft out. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a couple of them. They've kind of returned recently to service like the, the local community that's not a student and can't use our service. But We've we've essentially ran a bunch of the Ubers and Lyfts out of Statesboro, and he he was sort of appalled by that, and and urged me to take it to the next level, or at least explore options to take it to the next level. And so that's what I did, and I looked at you know the processes that go into building an app or funding funding an app, you know funding a development team to build an app, and I learned very quickly that it's not a cheap process. Yeah. Um, nor is it, uh, you know, easy to receive investment for, uh, you know, a company that hasn't made any revenue yet. Um, you know, I've just learned all these little business lessons along the way, but, you know, sort of what it's led into now is we actually have an app and we're, we're, we're actually operating on the app store now. Um, what is it? uh, It's called Scoop Me. Okay. Um, for those of you out there. How did the name, uh, Scoop Me come around? Uh, the way the name Scoop Me came was... We actually had a team of four back in the day. Okay. Um, and it was it was one of their names. We we were originally going to go with a um, like a Uber type model, um, and have have since shifted. And they those two um, guys, you know, they they helped while they were students here, but they've soon or since moved on to you know Denver and one other place and um, have started their corporate lives. But uh, you know that was the one thing that stuck with us from those those guys was the name Scoop Me. You said that there was two other people. Right. At what point were they kind of like part of the story? Okay. Uh, so to take you back a little bit more, I think around 4,500 members in okay. my group chat. So about two years ago um, now, they they texted me, hit me up, and 
basically said, hey, we have this, you know, sick idea. We're going to make an app and do all this cool, you know, Uber for students stuff. Yeah. And I thought, you know, hmm, you know, I, I have the same idea. I just got a few months ago from this this business guy. Yeah. And these two guys at the time, I was still, you know, teaching those teaching those kids how to kick soccer balls. Um, these two guys were actually taking business classes, taking management classes, and they were a year older than me. So I felt, you know, they believe in it. You know, who who else would be better to, to help me in this endeavor than these two guys? And so we started meeting, like, weekly, working on things that, looking back, we shouldn't have been working on. We like were what? Like what? Working on, like, a, a pro forma and, you know, all these different things, planning out different aspects when – you know, we should have been figuring out how much insurance costs and, and should have been figuring out, you know, how hard it was going to be to get an investment and, or making those connections um, with investors. But uh, just to sum it up, those two, you know, ended up going on doing their own thing and, you know, didn't really believe in it as much. But in the process, us three recruited Madeline, who is, and I, you know, I pointed out the fact that you know, she's got access to all these users. And, also, she's a girl, so we could add, you know, add some equality to our team. Yeah. And so we decided to, you know, reach out to Madeline and she soon joined the 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 three of us and became a team of four. And then I think it was December um of this year, uh or it might have been last yeah, it was December of this year, I think, or December of last year, yeah. Um, that those two decided to, you know, stop responding and sort of break communication and um you know, me and Madeline just kept doing our own thing because we still believed in it. Obviously, we had access to the assets at the end of the day, um, and we were, you know, still maintaining those. So we wanted to get something out of all that work we had put in That's right. over the past two years. So I feel like me and her were just more involved and, you know, more determined to get it done. Yeah. And, um, you know, back to, you know, the app now, like, we, we had to overcome all these obstacles in terms of, like, how you know how me 21 years old how the how the hell am i going to get an app built um how am i going to convince somebody to pay for an app to have built when i don't even like they were telling me like well what's it going to do like i'm like it's going to give you a rise i'm like uber they were like uber does that i'm like but listen like people don't want to pay 25 dollars for a ride who are you trying to convince uh there's been a couple people um i would say paul newman was one yeah uh there's been um a another parent actually well one the the first one was a, a lead from that um the parent that i gave a ride to on Classic parents cars. Weekend. yeah yeah he he basically told me you know here's this guy's contact info claimed he was a billionaire and that lit my eyes up you know real wide i was like you know i'm sure he wouldn't rhyme wouldn't mind writing me a hundred thousand dollar check um and so i was communicating with him had a long conversation about him or long conversation with him um, where he was mentioning data monetization and these long, you know, big complex, uh, you know, revenue models that I just couldn't quite wrap my head around uh-huh. as somebody who wasn't even a, a business major yet. Yeah. Um, so I think I was just, you know, too early in the process, you know, to be even talking to investors at that point. Um, so that ended up not working. But since then, I've talked to, you know, Paul Newman and then as well another parent actually that came down and also loves the idea. Like he'll come down and he'll pay me $100 for a ride and you know give me like ten thousand dollars worth of business advice on the yeah. way there um and so he also believes in the idea and he's sort of the the main um investor that we have like if we need it yeah um right now we're sort of trying to to bootstrap and do things on our own and prolong that as long as we can sure um yeah um so 
let's fast forward. Uh, you know, we've, we've kind of like, this is now starting to formulate into something that, you know, you hope to turn into a business, right? And so at what point, uh, do you get to the point where you have the scoop me app? How do you get there? Right. So that was that, and, you know, the overall model of, you know, how we're going to operate was the, the two main things to figure out, uh, mainly, you know, the model because of insurance. That was the going to be the other main expense as well as the uh, the app itself. Um, and so I don't know what I don't know what it set it off in my mind, but I, I remembered something back from one of my professors had told me my uh, original entrepreneurship professor she actually was a developer and developed a online something or another and it made her she ended up selling it for like nine hundred thousand dollars so i took a lot of advice from her and this was in like the pitching stage and she was teaching me you know sort of the stuff that i needed to sort of get the idea of a business mm-hmm. instead of um you know actually how to operate on that and what ended up happening was i remember back to her mentioning no code software because I was, you know, stressing. I'm like, how am I going to get this investment? How am I going to convince somebody to do this? Blah, 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 blah. You know, considering a tech co-founder, you know, what are my options there? Reached out to every computer science head in the Georgia Southern Department. You know, nobody was getting back to me. Nobody could lead me to a, a developer, you know, mm-hmm. to, to build this thing for me. And so at the end of the day, <laughs> I, uh, I said to myself, like, well, fine, I'll just do it myself. And so... Uh, got on. I was like, like, let me just learn how to use this no code software. It can't be that hard. And it turns out it is, it is very hard. It is not like Wix. It's not like a website Squarespace building. You know, it is very complex. Um, and the front end is mm-hmm. is a lot like those those website builders where you're just dragging and dropping. But learning the back end of how an app actually functions and how it communicates with the database. I, I knew nothing about that. I, I cannot tell you uh, I, because like the the viewers don't and the listeners don't know this, but I've been kind of like this is kind of like close to where I started like seeing you uh, come through the space talking about the idea. And there's nothing that has impressed me more than your conviction of this idea and moving forward and developing it yourself. I, I, I really, that speaks volumes to your tenacity and a, a term that comes up often, which is grit. There's this almost like, hey, like whatever it takes type of thought process. And that to me is literally one of the most impressive things that I, I've been able to see, like come through, right? right? Like, And I think that that's a huge p- portion of like why I'm, I'm so... Um, in supportive of like the things that you know you're doing is because that that's not an easy task right like you know and give give people maybe an idea of like how challenging getting an app onto the app store is i've been telling people recently when they've been asking you know how how the hell did you do that like i didn't know you can make an app and i was like well, it was probably like the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's right up there. If not, it is, you know, the hardest thing I've ever done in terms of like complexity and the amount that I was, you know, amount of information that I was having to consume and amount of people I was having to contact. And some of them were tired of, you know, listening to text messages from me and they don't even know about this stuff. And 
I was just I was just trying to figure it out. And I feel like you, you, you talked about the, the tenacity and the grit. I feel like that is just necessary to be successful in this game of entrepreneurship. Like you have to be willing to, to do the hard work and, and do the smart work as well, but do you know, do the things necessary for your business to succeed. It's like I, I saw your podcast with the, the guy from El Sombrero. He he talked about working in uh, working in the kitchen. You know, I'm gonna do the dishes, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do whatever it takes for my business to be successful um and like i told madeline yesterday like I, I have to do everything in my power to you know keep the the business interests you know at the top of my priorities it's not not my own interests. you know mm-hmm. i can't let my ego or these other things affect you know business decisions and, and that sort of thing yeah um you you mentioned the hardest thing that you've ever done talk to me about that specifically you know there's obviously certain resources out there um, I'm assuming that you watched a ton of YouTube. Yep. Um, what other resources were you plugging into to make this a reality? Yeah. So an interesting thing about the whole no code is, is when my professor actually told me that she told me to use a service called Adalo. Um, when, when I got on it, I was just like, this is not going to work for what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward a year later, I was taking another entrepreneurship uh, class with another teacher and I, you know, got like I said, I remembered back to that no code. I was like, okay, let's check out, you know, if there's any other software, you know, that does no code app building. And it turns out there actually is called mm-hmm. Flutterflow. Um, and Flutter is a common uh, app code for uh, iOS and Android uh, apps. And this basically service, it, it makes it a whole lot easier for somebody that doesn't understand science or computer science stuff to create an app. And it sure. makes it, it makes it doable. I wouldn't say it makes it easy by any means. <laughs> Um, but it's only $70 a month and you get access to create the app, deploy it to the app store, push notifications, everything you need to do it yourself. It's just that like talking about the, the grit and tenacity is like, I think that first time when I checked out a dollar, you know, a year or two ago, it, it, I didn't, I was like, eh, I'll just find an investment or I'll just get somebody else to do this for me. Like I, I don't have time to do this. And it, it came down to it. I was like, you know, there's a stage of analysis paralysis where like you, mm. you think about something for, for way too long and end yep. up never acting on it. And I was just tired of that. I, I told people for a year um, that, you know, I'm going to make an app. I'm going to make an app. I'm talking to this investor. He's about to pay for this app. And I was just tired of it. And I was like, if this thing is going to be successful. And it, also I learned, you know, through my business knowledge that take not taking on that investment and doing everything you can yourself is the right business decision, you know, minimizing your uh, liabilities and, you know, doing as much as you can on your own is, is, you know, best practice at the start. Um, and hopefully, you know, in the next year or so we can start making some money and start, you know, deploying our assets and leveraging other people to do, you know, some of this work. Um, but up until this point, a majority of it has, has fallen on me. For you, what are the next steps for your application? Um, so we, we ended up launching, I don't know if I said, but we launched last Friday. Um, it's been a week now. And we last time I checked, we were up over 200 users. So my original goal was uh, 110 days. So I blew that out of the water. We doubled it. And I'm very happy with the 200 users. Considering that it's summer, there's just not a lot of uh, students in Statesboro. A lot of them are vacationing and are at home. And um, so we're actually... This weekend, we're putting things on hold a little bit. Um, and then I think the next step for, for Scoop Me is to bring on a technical co-founder mm-hmm. um, to sort of somebody now that the app's built, the idea is proven, and the the also the 
want for it and the need for it has been proven by these 200 users. I think it would be in our best interest to bring on somebody to lend, you know, the app work over to. Um, and hopefully it'll, it should be super easy for them now that they're on that no-code platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that they can work on that for a portion of time and I can, you know, turn my, um, you know, objectives to building the business and scaling this thing as, as big as we need to and as quickly as we need to. And we're still working on sort of that outlook and working on um, that timeline. And hopefully, I mean, you could talk about that after this. But um, we, you know, we, we have big, very big plans. Um, and I can see this thing, you know, taking over uh, America by storm, you know, very quickly. I love it. I love the big dreams. Uh, so real quick for you. Um, and I think this is extremely valuable re- advice since you have just gone through this. If you could start over at the beginning and uh, let's talk about like kind of like in general so that this can be really utilized as advice for other entrepreneurs. What do you think is the steps that you would have taken? Because there was probably some quote unquote wasted time, right? Like in terms of, uh, I guess not necessarily wasted. I have to be careful with that word, Uh, but more along the lines of like, hey, you know, we were working on the pro forma instead of like, you know, figuring out what the actual business is. Right. What steps should an entrepreneur take to validate the business to get it to the point of where you're at right now? Right. Uh, part of that, I want to like sort of say that trying and, and failing is part of the journey. Okay. And you, I learned so much throughout those times. And I'm now glad that I can look back and like realize that we were doing the wrong thing. Um, and I would say that's probably the only way you're going to really figure things out. I mean, b- businesses are so different and so complex. Um, a lot of the times, you know, you can use other people's businesses and reflect um, sort of the, their processes and their operations. But in my industry, um, it, it, I'm basically building a new one. I mean, like it's it is very um, new and different. And so I can't really look at like the leading giants. I can look at similar companies, but um, I can't really look at somebody doing what we're doing because because nobody is. That's um, right. And so hopefully we can just continue to build on that. And, you know, you talked about the advice for for somebody starting the entrepreneurship process. I would say if you can, you know, reach out to people in your space that are killing it. Um, you know, that's sort of what I did. There's there's not a whole lot of um, app people around here <laughs> they are probably all in Silicon Valley, but um, I tried to just reach out to as many people as I can, learn as much as I can, and, you know, just, just never quit at the end of the day. Like, yeah. if you don't quit, then eventually you're going to be successful. Love it. Jake, I have to thank you for coming on to the show. Absolutely inspired by your story. I'm so excited for the future. I think that, you know, the potential that you've created is just immense. Uh, I love the model. I loved it from the day that we kind of like started talking about it. Um, And super like, you know, I, I think what is so special about your story and the thing that I keep coming back to is your grit and determination to see things through. Regardless of what happens, that those two elements are going to take you extremely far in life and just continue to push. Sir, thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. And uh, if anybody wants to check me out, I'm on Instagram underscore JM55. And then our, our Scoot Me Instagram is at Scoot Me App. Um, we are on the App Store now, only operating in, in Statesboro. So if you're at other schools, you're just going to have to wait out a couple months um, or maybe a year or so. But we're going to get there as soon as we can. Um, it's just, you know, part of the process. But again, I thank you for having me. It's been, it's been awesome. Awesome. Cool.